Kurt Messina is the CEO of Paradigm Clinical Research. And today we're going to talk about the business of running clinical sites and some interesting use of AI around setting up that business. Kurt, welcome to CC Life Science. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this one. So just for people who might not be familiar about the site business, it was all new to me, describe what it is, how it works, what the different models might be. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I can start with uh, kind of the operating model side of things. So there's a couple of different uh, ways you might run this business. Um, we'll start with the way we do it. Uh, so we, <clears throat> we, we operate um, fully owned fully dedicated research sites. Um, so what that means is that we'll go into a market, um, find space to lease, we'll negotiate lease terms, we'll negotiate you know, tenant, um, tenant improvement allowances. Uh, and then once that's all done, uh, we'll be part of the build out and then we'll staff uh, that site with our, our own people, our own coordinators. Uh, and I think the thing that makes us a little bit different is that we put um, sub, sub investigators in, in each of our sites. And then we go out into those markets and look for physicians who are interested in participating in studies and contract with them as principal investigators. That's how we do it. There's others out there that um, embed themselves in physicians' practices or mm. perhaps in hospital systems. And in those, uh, those instances, you would take a coordinator and place that, co you would embed that coordinator in that physician's practice or in some hospital or, or something like that. Uh, and then there's, um, I suppose, the networks of, of sites where it's more arm's length and you sort of just manage um, manage sites from a distance, I, I would say. Um, so you're finding them new studies. You're not, you know, the coordinators are not your employees, they're employees of the, of the PI. And you might be, for instance, besides, you know, doing the business development work for them, uh, managing payments and contracts and, uh, you know, and things like that. So it's sort of three, in my view, at least, you know, three basic operating models. Ours, like I said, standalone, fully dedicated clinical research sites, embedded uh, sites where, again, you put your, your staff in a physician's practice, and then third, some, you know, some more arm's length uh, uh, networks. I can tell you something about the advantages and disadvantages of, of each of these, if that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Before we do that, can I just, um, yeah. I want to get a sense of the workflow. So physicians, you know, have patients. They know that there are clinical trials going on and they're matching those up or you're matching those up. Patients come in. Is the research going on at the site or analysis or is it a lot about collecting samples for those doctors, physicians, and sponsors? I mean, for us, the, the, the majority of the, the, the study visits would happen in our, in our, in our clinic. Um, in you know, the embedded model where you're, you have coordinators in a physician's practice, then the study visits are happening in, in the physician's practice. Right. Um, so we, you know, you know, for the most part, I think a lot of people think that, you know, we're managing trials as a site business, but we're really only participating in a in a part of it, right? We're one right. part of typically many sites that are participating in a, in a study. Yeah. So, you know, we're managing just a, just a part of it and we're out 
you know, finding physicians who are um, the right physicians for that study, and then working with that physician and others uh, to find patients who are eligible for these studies. That's for patient studies. For uh, healthy volunteer studies, uh, you know, we also need to find physicians to work with. But then you're you're not really recruiting from that uh, physician's patient base, although you may be. Uh, but you're also recruiting, you know, healthy volunteers off the street, so to speak. Right. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, talk talk about the advantages of the different models before we get into your your experience specifically with setting up this business. Yeah. So you know, I, I talked about our model where we have fully dedicated uh, clinics, um, and we hire sub investigators and then go out and. Uh, contract with physicians in those markets to be principal investigators. The advantage there is that we can pivot uh, pretty easily from one therapeutic area, one specialty to another. Um, so I'll just make things up here. If, for instance, uh, all of a sudden there was a bunch of R&D dollars being spent on kidney disease, we could very easily go out into the marketplace and find nephrologists to, to contract with. Or you know, let's say there's a pile of work going on in Alzheimer's, which is actually uh, true today. And if that just evaporated, you know, we can pivot to uh, to something else. The um, I wouldn't call it a disadvantage, but you know, one of the things that we consider is it does take some time to find um, suitable space to negotiate lease agreements, to do the build out, and then you know to hire staff and everything. So we do like the other model. Uh, the embedded model, we'd like the embedded model as a means of uh, establishing ourselves in a market uh, sooner than we would, uh, you know, finding leasable space and, and what have you, things I just described. But always with the intent that our staff would leave uh, that physician's practice and, you know, occupy day in, day out our own, you know, our own clinic. So I think I just alluded to the advantages of being embedded. You can, you know, find a coordinator and embed that person in a physician's practice, you know, Monday morning, uh, right. so to speak. Yeah, the disadvantage there is um, if you're, let's say you're embedded in a, I'll just make things up here, you're embedded in a nephrology practice, well, now you're limited to that specialty. Right, you're right? tied, Those yeah. Patients, the patients are kidney disease, right, and it's much harder to, to pivot or to, you know, to, to get into other therapeutic areas or other specialties if you're embedded in a you know, some particular specialty like nephrology or dermatology or, you know, any of them. Right. Sounds like one space, many possibilities, many spaces, narrower possibilities, yeah. right? So that's what, that's yeah. the trade-off. Yeah. 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 So you recently took a new position here at um, Paradigm Clinical Research and used this was I think the most interesting thing AI strategically to determine the geographic markets you're going to serve. What did that look like? Yeah, so I can talk you through the how we how we did that. So I happen to uh, be in Boise, Idaho, um, a hot you know the hotbed of clinical research and yeah exactly in the world and fly fishing. <laughs> joke, but yeah, go on. That a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I actually uh, we've been. Uh, we today are pretty successful in, in Idaho, and uh, I have a prior life where we were also very successful in Idaho. Nevertheless, um, the, way we, um, the way we got to the, 
to the list of markets that are interesting to us was at the start very simple. I went to the uh, the website for the Boise Airport and I looked at all the nonstop destinations because we're thinking that I'm here, head of clinical operations is uh, here, and we need to get to these sites you know every now and then. So there was 22 or so nonstop destinations from the airport here. We said to ourselves, okay, of those, we want to be able to get to uh, them in half a day or less. So that uh, that meant we were on the western half of the, we were focused on the western half of the U.S. And this is where then AI comes in. We used uh, ChatGPT, the paid version, for, with some plugins. And there's a pile of plugins, you, you know, I can't, I'm not an expert in all of this, but I think we found the right, the right plugins. And we said to uh, ChatGPT, of these nonstop destinations, uh, which have, uh, within a two hour drive, um, uh, populations with a significant proportion of people historically underrepresented in clinical research. So in other words, where are we going to find some diversity within a two-hour drive of these nonstop destinations? Again, because we wanted to be able to get there in, in half a day or less. Um, and that came back with, you know, that cut came back with uh, quite a few. Um, and then we just narrowed it down from there and prioritized and said to ourselves, um, for instance, we're in Redding, North Car uh, Redding California, uh, up in the northern Central Valley. We're already there. We're establishing a site in uh, Sacramento and Modesto. Uh, between Redding and, I'm just giving you an example here, between Redding and Sacramento is Chico. So Chico looks interesting to us um, as well because it's got a, a significant proportion of, uh, of people there who've historically been under, underrepresented in clinical research. And it's a reasonable drive from Redding or from Sacramento, which allows us to use the staff that we already have on the ground and the relationships that we have there to get a good running start at uh, at establishing a site there. So that's one example of of many where we've said to ourselves and used AI to say this is a good market. This is close to where we already are. Let's uh, let's go there. And then in addition to that, that's sort of what we you know what we call our expansion strategy. Uh, and then we also have a, a, what we call a land land and expand. So land just refers to markets where we don't have uh, an established base yet, but the market's still interesting to us. So that's how that all came about. I think, not I, a, mean, a, I, a, I mean, not a, not, not a very sophisticated use of uh, AI, but it really helped us narrow down, um, you know, which, which markets meet the profile that we're looking for, including right, diversity, might, right? I mean, that, that's what we're after. Right. I mean, one, that's a good criteria, which I want to talk about in a second. Two, a simple, so-called simple or not sophisticated use of it, but probably a huge time saver. What would it take otherwise yeah. to go through yeah. who knows what kind of demographic right. information right. for all those things? So my question is about, one, how did you validate the answers you got? Presumably, it doesn't just say, you know, go to Chico, go to Reading, wherever. There, you had to get some real data behind those answers, yeah. I presume. And then, I mean, it's just also interesting because you start at Boise, and you think you're probably the farthest location from diversity. 
to begin with. Right, right? yeah. You, or yeah. that would be an assumption. Yeah, you don't think... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't think diversity when you think Boise, Idaho, for sure. Or you don't think diversity when you think about Idaho. I would say, you know, around here, there's a there's a pretty significant uh, population, Hispanic population and Native American population here. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not completely lacking in diversity. Right. Uh, but I will say, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the AI tool that we use did come back specifically with, as an example, Chico. Um, and then you know you want to validate that you know you, you sort of want to say to yourself okay that that sounds interesting let's actually go look at some def demographic data to make sure that ChatGPT has actually landed on on something that that fits the profile we're looking for and so we did that and sure enough in in every case um, what ChatGPT told us was was valid. Yeah, that's that's an interesting story. I mean, I was at a conference last week, uh, the SAMPS meeting, and it was all oh, yeah. about AI and you know, saving a lot of time, but also you know making sure you validate all the answers you get coming out of it. But certainly yeah. it has huge potential to save a bunch of time. Yeah, you're using chatbots as part of your recruitment, also for people mm -hmm. interested in participating. So how? Um, how do you establish your own confidence in that the answers that they <laughs> present, you know, if they come onto a site and sort of qualifying themselves for participation? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, some obvious validation work that needs to go on there to make sure that, um, you know, folks are getting the right answers to the, you know, the questions that they're asking. So what, what we've done in that case, um, and this is with uh, an outside vendor, we didn't, we didn't, um, we didn't develop this in-house. But, you know, as an example, we do a good bit of advertising on, say, Facebook for particular studies. So if somebody comes to, you know, one of our ads for Facebook and they want to learn more, there's an opportunity for them to get to our website. And, you know, once on our website, there's a AI-powered chatbot where we have, um, we've provided uh, to this tool the protocol, the investigative brochures, whatever it is that, um, you know, that we have in hand for that study. And you can, as you know, a layperson, say, "Hey, what kind of studies do you have that I might be interested in?" And the chatbot will come back and say, "Well, tell me a little bit more about yourself, um, age, you know, things like that," in an attempt to to narrow down using the inclusion exclusion whether or not uh, we actually have studies that that uh, this person would qualify for. And you might say, you know, as you know, as the user of this. Um, you know, how much am I going to be paid? What is the stipend for that? And then this tool goes back, you know, looks at the, the protocol and whatever else we've fed into it and comes back with a, you know, an answer to those things. When all said and done, and if you're, you know, as a user, um, if you say, yeah, okay, I'm very interested in this, that tool will look at, um, look at our calendars and find an available opportunity for a phone call uh, with, with that potential uh, study volunteer so like i said it we haven't built this in-house we're using a, a third party uh on this one i haven't found i haven't found that in this space you know that the tool like that yet uh, i'm sure there's others working on it but um i would say we're sort of in beta right now on that uh, but everything that i've seen is pretty slick um and and you know very cool uh, and it saves us uh some time and having you know somebody you know on call to answer you know what might be coming through our you know our chat uh, feature on the website 
So that's kind right. of cool. And, so, and you know, it, it helps us it helps us narrow down, you know, the people that are actually interested and eligible for studies. So it, you know, it's one of these things that just improves the efficiency of you know our operations and overall you know, clinical research. Exactly. I mean, when you when you said uh, someone might come to the site and say, "What studies do you have?" You know, a bad chatbot would just dump a list on them, right? But a good chatbot says, "Well, tell yeah, right. me how old you are and a little bit of history, and then okay, here's the ones you know already trying to hone in on right. on exactly the right. right ones." I mean, even location, right? We don't have like you just heard a minute ago. We don't have sites all over the country. You know, there's certain markets that that we're in. So if you're, you know, if you're out in, I don't know, upstate Maine, I really can't. I really can't help you. I don't have a site up there. <laughs> as an example. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk about AI, using AI to identify the best business opportunities, um, and what historical contracts have looked like. So using the AI to sort of set up how you negotiate those contracts and just mm-hmm. get that information that helps you be a better negotiator. Yeah. Again, uh, this is a tool that uh, we're working with someone else on. I, you know, we don't have a, you know, AI experts in, in house, but uh, yeah. we're working, you know, we're working on, I think in the end what, what this does is help us be more efficient in figuring out which studies are good studies for us. Uh, and just makes that whole sales process from beginning to end a little more efficient. So if you think about, you know, you, you, you know, there's some lead generation work where you're, you know, finding new studies uh, that go into your sales pipeline. We happen to use uh, salesforce.com to manage as a CRM to manage our sales pipeline. You know, there's a feasibility uh, process where the sponsor or CRO will send over a feasibility questionnaire and then, you know, my staff is out talking to our sites and our investigators saying, you know, in the first instance, do we have this patient population? Can we access this patient population best based on the inclusion exclusion? So it's a lot of manual intervention. And then there's a lot of back and forth on contract terms and on budgets. So we're looking at a tool that will say to us, here's the pipeline based on history and, and what we've done before and how we've been successful here are the opportunities in that sales pipeline that are most likely winnable. I use that term winnable where we're going to get site selected. And then, um, you know, in terms of the feasibility questionnaire that I mentioned, this tool will go back and look at history and, you know, what we've answered before for uh, feasibility questionnaires and then come back and say, here's the data that you've presented before. And then the same thing as we get into, negotiating contract terms and budgets, it'll go back and look at the history of, you know, what, for this particular procedure, what has been the range of, uh, uh, what's been the the cost estimate range for that particular procedure, what have we won, uh, and then comes back and says, okay, here's the AI part of this, comes back and says, okay, after looking at all of this, here's where you have the best opportunity to, to win business. And it's not you know, it's predictive. It's not prescriptive. So we may t- say to ourselves, okay, AI, you know, you told us this, but that's not really, we're trying to get out of that therapeutic area and get into something else. So it's, you know, it's not like we just take AI's word for it. You know, there, there's, right. some, you know, there's some, you know, manual uh, or human intervention in that 
obviously, in that decision-making process. But it does help us, you know, just be more efficient. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities, you know, study opportunities out there, and you can't chase everything. Uh, so, you know, we have defined, I would say, half a dozen or so therapeutic areas that are of interest to us, and, you know, that's, those are the ones that we focus on. But having a, right, tool that, that, you know, you know, having a tool that looks at all of that data historically and is able to come back and, you know, predict which of those is, is you know, more winnable for us than, than others is, you know, a huge time saver. Right. Yeah. That all that historical, it's kind of like comparable data on housing sales or whatever, like what works, yeah. what doesn't, what's the range, what's the price. Yeah. Also, I'm just thinking about like the re- Reduction of burden on somebody's mind to go, which one of right. these should I go after? Which you could spin your head right. around a lot on, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So now we've discussed three three applications for AI. What got you or whoever it was within your company to say, we should use ChatGPT to do this? Or what, what was the motivation? Did you say, it's about time we try it? How did you get started? <laughs> yeah, well... I guess uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would say oddly enough, but um, the way that it all came about is we have a board member uh, whose husband uh, happens to know as much about uh, machine learning and uh, AI things. Again, I'm not the expert here, um, but he 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 happens to be uh, an expert in this. And our board member got talking to her husband about um, you know what clinical research looks like and all the you know the inefficiency in it and you know we started um we started talking about particular use cases and where you know we could see the biggest uh return you know, where was the low-hanging fruit where could we see the biggest return on you know on on these tools and that's how it all really got started um i mean i'm a big fan you that might come across already uh but yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of of what i see uh i use it every day it's you know even for things like you know, response. If I need to draft, you know, anything, um, you know, some posting to social media or a message to, you know, the entire company or a response to an email or if I need to develop a, a job description or anything like that, it's it is a huge time saver. And I would say, you know, what what I get back from, you know, the likes of ChatGPT is probably 80 to 90 percent there. So, you know, it's it's on me to you know, it doesn't come back perfect. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, that's, that's the expectation, but if I can get 80 or 90% of the way there, um, you know, that's, that's a tremendous time saver. It's well, this is why I love this conversation is because obviously you knew, had a connection to someone who was an advocate for using mm-hmm. chat GPT, but the things you mentioned, aside from, you know, having heard stories of people say, hey, chat GBT, I'm going to Europe next week. Map me out, you know, three days here, three days there. What should I see? And I want to spend this much on hotels. But yeah. to say, I want to explore a market. Tell me where the people are who meet these criteria within a half a day flight of Boise. Mm-hmm. That's, it sounds simple, but. I don't think that's the way people are typically thinking of using it. A, a lot for what you said, drafting. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a very good chance that the the email you get from me is going to be drafted 
by ChatGPT right. based on this transcript, which I will then go in and as much as possible try to make it sound like me because the hardest part of this yeah. whole production for me is writing the notes at the end. I spend way yeah. more time writing the notes than talking to you. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. And so, yeah. and so far, three out of four have been good. One of them I just said, what, what came back was not good. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's amazing how you can how you can say, okay, that sounds what you came back, you know, ChatGPT. That's that's interesting what you came back uh, uh, to me with, but you know, make it more formal or you know, put it more in in my you know in in my you know the way I would say it, um, or you know, make it less formal or you know, make it shorter, make it you know, make it longer, or you know, I want you to you, <laughs> I want. I want you to say this uh, in in what you come back with. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. We had a the other thing I find a little bit interesting is I've seen people uh, ref, you know in the instructions to you know the likes of ChatGPT say please please <laughs> please do this as if they're you know speaking to somebody um, you know some some real human. So it's amazing what uh, you know how much time you can save and you know what actually comes comes back when you when you prompt it with the, you know, the right, um, you know, the right ask, I'll say. Yeah. This is a little off topic, but I, the one that didn't work, I, I tried to give it some of my writing and said, write it like me. And at first it, it wrote it as if I were the guest, like Chris said this, Chris said that, and no, that's no. And then I said, I want you to do it again, writing it as if you were me. And it came back with a very nice article, none of which was all accurate and related, but none of which was actually in our conversation. So that's interesting. I just threw that one out. I'm doing it myself this week. Uh, Last question. So the site business, uh, part of the life science world that I don't know a lot about, haven't known a lot. You see a lot of good things happening in this business. What do you see changing in the next couple of years? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I, I might be a little biased here, but um, I mean, one thing for sure is there's a lot of consolidation going on in in, uh, in the world of clinical research sites, which sort of makes sense, right? I mean, we saw for a few decades the CRO world consolidating. Um, you know, there are, you know, whatever the estimates are, thousands of clinical research sites, you know, I think just in the U.S. I mean, there's certainly a lot, and I always say, you know, what other market spends you know billions of dollars a year on such a uh, a fragmented set of providers, right? Um, so I, I think it's just a you know a natural um, course that sites you know sites are being consolidated, and there's a lot of interest from you know the world of investors uh, in that, and you see it almost every day. Somebody's acquired somebody else uh so you know that's that's for sure um i think uh i think there's a disruptive element to uh to cro's uh if it isn't here already i think i think it's coming so i don't think cro's are going to go away altogether but i think some of the services that have historically been provided by cro's are now going to wind up in some of these larger sites um and if you think about it some you know, where are where are these patients you know for patient studies where are these patients they're not in the CROs certainly right they're in 
they're in the sites. They're in the, you know, in the physician's practice, again, for these patient studies. So it makes sense to, to focus there, um, you know, on, on making clinical research, you know, a little more efficient, uh, you know, than it is today. And I think finally, um, we talked about this some, you know, there's a, there's a big push for greater diversity uh, among the people that actually participate in clinical research, all for very good reasons. But I think we'll also see, and there's, you know, I'm not saying anything that nobody, you know, that, that, is, that is new here or novel. I think there's also a push for uh, not just more sites, uh, but uh, more diversity among uh, the investigators as well. So it's, it's a diversity, you know, it's a question of diversity, not just among the people who are participating, but also the, you know, the investigators. And so, again, I mean, that ties into, you know, our strategy about which markets to, that, you know, that look interesting to us in the end. Right. That makes me think about, um, and I don't want to, I'm wondering, like, what, as a, a site business, what it looks like there's a lot of opportunity for efficiencies in consolidation because many sites, I presume, you correct me if I'm wrong, are doing similar things whether in different indications. Mm-hmm. But there's a basic underlying I don't know, formula, for lack of a better word, about how you work. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there could be a huge amount of efficiency gained by systematizing... Yeah in smaller groups. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, there will be studies that have particular nuances to them, but I mean, it, you know, when you all said and done, you know, one site is doing or is responsible for the same things as, as some other site. I mean, you're, you're, you're finding patients that are eligible for the studies and then managing those patients through the schedule of events, um, and collecting data. Hopefully it's, you know, it's clean and, and accurate and timely, uh, and then reporting that to the, you know, the CRO or sponsor. So at its core, you know, we're all doing the same thing. Um, you know, I think it's just a question of, you know, where are the differences? The differences are driven by the types of studies and the therapeutic areas that you're involved in. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think you're yeah, right. So I think what I was a tremendous getting at is yeah. your differentiator is your populations and, and access to physicians like the combination right. of the diverse population of patients and therapeutic areas and yeah. and you provide yeah. something that's yeah yeah i think that's where you differentiate yourself also you know in the operating model too like i was saying you know the way we do it with you know fully dedicated clinics versus you know these embedded uh you know folks that are embedded and i'm not arguing one way or the other you know like i said before right. um they all have their advantages and disadvantages i think the one just as a quick promo maybe for paradigm i think the thing that makes us a little bit unique and i uh, mentioned this earlier is that we hire sub investigators too so sub, we have sub investigators who are typically mid-level practitioners put them on our payroll uh, and that the thing that's interesting about that is those sub investigators unburden the principal investigators not entirely but you know to a large extent so that those principal investigators who are typically for us uh, in private practice, they can continue to, you know, keep an eye on their private practice, continue to see patients in that, in that practice, you know, make sure that their practice is successful and still participate in clinical research studies. 
Right? Right. You can't have, you can't be totally absent. Of course, you can't be. There, there needs to be sufficient PI oversight for every study. So it's not like, you know, you, you're, you know, an absent PI. That's a, that's a bad thing to have. Uh, but those sub investigators, I think, are, um, are, are the thing that is the primary value proposition that we, one of the primary value propositions that we offer our, our investigators. That's my nice. quick, yeah, that's my quick promo there. No, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I like it. So, Kurt Messina, this is great. Uh, thank you so much for teaching us about unique uses of AI and the clinical site business. And I will certainly put a link to you and Paradigm Clinical Research in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, appreciate it, Chris. It's been uh, been a pleasure. I'm happy to chat uh, about these things. Been doing it a long time, and um, yeah, anytime. Happy to happy like to it. help. <laughs>